Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 14th, 2017. And today we are reading from the big book, and we are reading on page 5, the last paragraph, moving over to page 6 to focus our study and sharing on the first paragraph on page 6. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Laura A., the 12 Traditions, Katie F., and reading the text today, Lisa H., Rachel W., and Eileen W. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, February 13th, 2017, is 9592-9592, the OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Laura A. to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Laura A., uh, recovering compulsive overeater in New Hampshire. Can you hear me? Good morning. Ah, great. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for letting me do service and I pass. Thank you, Laura A. I will now ask Katie F to read the 12 traditions. Star one, Katie F. 
Okay, sorry about that. I'm Katie F, a recovered compulsive overeater. <clears throat> the 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, KDF. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the one that's speaking, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. On page five, the last paragraph, the last line, moving over then to page six, to paragraph one, to focus our sharing on that today. And I will ask Lisa H. to begin our study this morning. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Melanie. Uh, This is Lisa H., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Tennessee. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. 
I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day, I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened, how it had happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time. But I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. Um, thank you. Again, this is Lisa H. Recovered in Tennessee. And um, I, you know, this reminds me or, or suggests to me or tries to show me how, um, how I might identify in, um, how my disease manifested itself um, and, and was progressive. Um, you know, day in and day out, I would resolve again um, not to pick up the sugar. Um, I would, I would um, be, be okay for, for a half a day um, and then maybe a few hours. And again, um, the only way to calm myself was, was the sugar. Um, I, I says here, the courage to do battle was not there. And I just, um, I just didn't have it. I, I didn't have that courage. I, I think I just lived in constant fear, um, fear of not being good enough, fear of what people thought of me, fear of not, um, being successful. Um, you know, constant fear of this, that, and the other, um, and the only way I could, could manage that was to stuff, stuff down my uncomfortable um, feelings with sugar. And, and then, I, then I stayed in this, this mental fog. I mean, I, you know, um, I couldn't get out of it. I remember, um, you know, finally, um, I think that I got so bothered by the fact that I was hiding the sugar um, from my spouse, you know, because there's nobody else living in the house, but the two of us. Um, and, and how I thought I was hiding weight gain from my spouse, uh, I'll, you know, I'll never understand that. But, um, the, the only way, um, that I could get out of the mental fog, um, was to put down the sugar and to have a transformation, um, through the pages, um, of this book. Um, and having, um, finding someone who, in whom the problem had already been solved. Um, and by doing that, um, by working with someone else, by listening here, um, that fear um, started to slip away. And it got replaced by courage and gratitude and hope. Um, I finally had some hope. Um, anyway, thank you. I, I'm so happy to be here and so grateful for all of you all. And I pass. Thank you, Lisa H. 
Um, we are going to be uh, focusing our study this morning on paragraph one, page six. It'll be that single paragraph there. And it's now open for sharing on that paragraph. Who would like to share? Carlin G. Tina S. Bingo. Larry. 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 Sarah W. Melissa. Melissa. Sarah W. Melissa. Kim J. Hi, Kim. Vasa O. Hi, Vasa. Morning. We'll go take that then. Leah M. Oh, hi, Leah. I'll, I'll stick you in there. <clears throat> okay, I have this group this morning. Harlan G., Tina S., Vinga P., Larry K., Sarah W., Melissa C., Kim G., Vasa O., and Leah M. Thank you. Start with you, Harlan. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie, and thank you for your service, and thank you to Team Tuesday for all you do to make this meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Can I be heard okay? You can. Okay, great. Let's take a look at this paragraph, and the very first thing that we see is the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. As lustful as I would binge, and that's the only word I can use, as much as that whatever, the cake, the pizza, you, you throw in your binge food, as much as it looked so seductive the night before, you know, I never woke up in the morning and said, man, am I glad I ate two family-sized pizzas the night before. It never, never was a thought that I had, that I was happy about it. I was always sad about it. Now, let's take a look here at something that we get called back to page four. On page four, Bill is looking down his nose at the people that are jumping off the buildings and committing suicide. He goes back to the bar. Now let's take a look at the progression of his alcoholism. On page six, he is considering killing himself. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know what to do anymore. He can't get out of his own way. And let's take a look at the volume of, of liquor that he's throwing down his throat. A dozen glasses of ale. My God, I wouldn't be able to walk for six months. Now he's drinking two bottles of gin. Two bottles of gin. Gin would fix that, so two bottles and oblivion. His life is absolutely in hell. There is no respite from his alcoholism at this point. Now, he is soon to be in recovery because we, we can see what's going to happen on page 7 and certainly on page 8 and the rest of the chapter. But this is the nadir. This is his bottom. He is absolutely unable to get out of his own way. He is considering killing himself. He has no life. His life with Lois is horrible. Um, this was my life, and this was my life. For a very long time, I wasted decades of my life to this illness. Thank God, because of a book called Alcoholics Anonymous and a fellowship called Overeaters Anonymous, and this meeting, which I consider to be the renaissance of OA, a vision for you, I don't have to give this illness one more second. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you all for being here. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Tina S., you're next. Thanks, Melanie. Tina S., uh, Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Awesome, good stuff, some good stuff. I, uh, you know, I, I get 
like really emotional when I I read this stuff because it takes me back to the place of where I was finally in in some desperation and you know and it was certainly shared the remorse horror and hopelessness are just tremendous words that I feel to my soul you know and that's where I was and and the courage to do battle was not there you know I had done so many different things tried so many different things to um, be able to participate in life that's what I was looking for the minimal just to participate in my life and not to just exist and I certainly wasn't ready to kill myself but I prayed to die every night that was just a prayer and and you know and I was so paralyzed by fear you know my world was so small you know it was like I was on the outside looking in and and I could remember thinking to myself I never used to be like this and it was just something that I had to do you know coming from you know I'm all over this disease I can relate to everybody and I'm grateful that I can not necessarily grateful that I had to go to those lengths but maybe yeah um, you know so coming in initially as uh, somebody who needed to lose some weight and then finally coming in at somebody that was 90 pounds and couldn't think you know I was just like what do I do what do I do and um, you know and I like but what Har I don't want to cross talk what Harlan shared was though you know we're really getting ready for uh, Bill to be in in recovery here, and that's the good news. And uh, and and I was ready. And it still says, you know, two more years he lives like this, and I lived like this in that state of just existing and wanting to die and having people around me be, be like, what do we do with her? What do we do with her? <laughs> you know. And then finally, you know, I got to a place of, dear God, I'll just do whatever just so that I don't have to feel like this anymore. And that's what happened. So today, one day at a time, you know, for me, I have to make it that simple. I'm going to do today what I did yesterday, follow a food plan, talk to a sponsor, help somebody else, and, and work these steps and do the deal so that I get the recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Vinga P. Hi. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. And good morning, everyone on the line. Thank you for being here and for your service. Um, I'm so grateful to be here and with all of you on in this recovery path. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. It's so good to read this, to remember and and how what, what it was like. I would often wake up in the morning and see the, the new day come, the light of the new day, and I would reject it. I would put my head under the covers and I would lay there just just in remorse, horror, and hopelessness of what I had done the night before. And um, often, and it talks about the terrible sense of impending calamity. I experienced many of those um, feelings um, waking up in the middle of the night with just a, a terrible sense of something bad is going to happen. And, and this went on and on and on for a long, long time. And thanks be to God and this program and all of you, um, I've been relieved of 80 pounds and for eight years, and I'm so grateful. It's not just the weight. It's, it's a, whole, um, a whole new way of living. And I don't have that impending sense of climate anymore. I wake up like, oh, great, a new day. All right, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. And um, so... Um, as was said earlier, I'm so glad that um, it, that I'm reminded of this, and it is a little bit sad to to just um, reminisce what I went through and what Bill is going through and what so many of us go through as addicts, compulsive readers, 
And um, so if there's anyone out there who is in this state of remorse, horror, and hopelessness this morning, um, I pray that God will relieve you of that, of the um, the terrible hold of the disease. And it's so helpful to reach out, reach out, reach out. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Venga. Larry Kay? Hey, Melanie. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? I can. Okay. Thanks so much, Melanie, for your service. Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. I can remember what that was like. Um, you know, what's striking is that this is perhaps the best possible place from which to begin to recover. Now, he, he's, we're going to read, he, he's not ready yet. We'll see that he has more suffering to experience um, before he's bottomed out. It, it certainly takes what it takes. But when we truly want the misery to stop, only then are we ready to take certain steps. Page 58 says, if you have decided what we, what, what we have, if, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And if I'm still intent on, on playing in traffic, you know, the big book tells me, even faced with destruction, this, this hopelessness, it's, you know, at some of these steps, we're going to balk, thinking we can find an easier, softer way. And, and we're going to see that Bill will hold on to some of his old ideas for, for another couple of years. And guess what? You know, your result will be the same as his. Nil. <clears throat> until you let go absolutely. You know, the, the, the house in Vegas, the house always wins. There's no counting cards here. You know, there's no scheme to put one over, you know, the the house and, and come home with the fortune. And, and just because, you know, you won in Vegas that one time, don't worry. It, it was a delusion to think you'll keep winning. You know, it's going to draw you back to the dessert table. And this paragraph illustrates the progression of the disease. Bill is tethered to his misery. He can't unchain himself. And, you know, I think of like a diabetic may not be at fault for for their diabetes. But nonetheless, they're held responsible for taking insulin, managing their blood sugar, being aware of their diet. Addiction's no different. Whether a person's using heroin or, you know, or, or Oreos, they're held accountable and responsible for their actions. Having the disease is not a, a tacit nod to enabling. And Bill's going to have to suffer a bit more, and, and I did as well. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Sarah W. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service today. Uh, my name is Sarah W., a very grateful, recovered, compulsive reader from Iowa. Um, you know, it says, uh, you know, I was thinking about how it says it's unforgettable, that these horrible feelings are unforgettable, unfor- and yet why does it happen again? You know, I do forget. Or maybe I just push it down. Um, and I was thinking about um, the the shame and and embarrassment that comes with relapse. So many of us have gone through it. I know I did. Uh, and walking into the rooms after you've released a lot of weight and then you have this, you know, I mean, we show our our, our relapse. We show it. Um, it's exposed by weight gain, typically. Uh, and 
you know, I just want to invite those that have or are in the midst of that to not give up. Um, I always thought that I wasn't worthy of goodness in life. And I think, uh, you know, and I still really believe that I was a self-sabotager. You know, I was going to do something to create uh, more misery for myself because I just didn't deserve any good. And I would just like to invite anybody that is in that place to not give up, uh, to really believe that second part of the second step, that we can be restored. I never had sanity, so I didn't know what sanity was. I never had sanity from, you know, the time I was born that I know of. Uh, So it was all brand new for me. But, you know, my life is so different today. And, you know, to really have clarity, you know, it talks about this mental fog that we have, to have clarity in life and to be connected in life to a power greater than ourselves and to other people and to really um, feel like we have a use, a purpose, and that we like who we are. You know, we're, we're all precious children of God and we're all eye to eye, and yet we're all so unique. So um, I hope everybody has an abstinent, joyful day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. Thank you, Sarah W. Melissa C. Hi. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, that not having the courage to do battle, you know, that being so beaten down, um, sure that I'm doomed and that, um, you know, I could just feel that everything is unraveling and not having the ability to even make a go, you know, to even um, attempt to do anything about it. And, you know, so I would I would lay in bed um, in the middle of the night after having binged um, like a crazy person, and I would often get woken up, you know, in the middle of the night, and I could feel my heart pounding in my chest and in my ears, and, um, you know, and it was the effect of the food, it was the effect of the weight, Um, my blood pressure was crazy, I could hear my heart pounding in my ears, and I was terrified, I was, you know, um, I would start to cry thinking um, as much as I want to die, I was terrified that I was going to die and that my kids and my husband were going to find me in the morning. And, you know, and yet when I would wake up, you know, a couple of hours later, this fear so fresh in my head, um, I had no courage to do battle. So just like, you know, Bill that reaches for some glasses of ale, I needed creamy sweet in my coffee to get, just to calm me, get me up, get me going. And then like him, within a few hours, I was chasing oblivion, you know. And so just a a little bit of that sweet, creamy stuff was enough to just sort of get me going, I guess enough to get my feet out of bed. But um, I needed oblivion. And so I'm so grateful that we read this because if ever for a second I think, you know, the passing insane thought might cross that, do you miss the food? Do you miss being able to eat spontaneously? Um, there was nothing spontaneous about the way I ate. It, it, that's a lie. 
you know. And so um, this is really important for me to read because I need to know this is the truth for me. This is what will happen for me. There's two alternatives. It's recover or oblivion, you know. And um, and thank God I reached a point where I could not do battle anymore because that made me right to finally listen, you know, and allow the transformation. So thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Kim G. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Remorse, horror, hopelessness, impending calamity, writhing nerves. And by the end of the paragraph, Bill finally admits, gin would fix that. This is so important. This is a point where Bill is is acknowledging now that that alcohol is not his problem. Alcohol is his solution. What is his problem? Remorse, horror, hopelessness, impending calamity, writhing nerves. You know, a, a turning point in my recovery is when I was on a phone meeting and we were going over page 25 when it talked about the intolerable situation. Because for many years before OA and unfortunately in OA, I thought the intolerable situation was being, being in the food. And because I thought that was my intolerable situation, what I worked on was abstinence, thinking that was the solution. What I am being taught here, what Bill is, is talking about, what I need to internalize, is the intolerable situation is being abstinent. That is a long 24 hours. You mean you want me to be sober in the morning, in the afternoon, and the evening? Do you know what the consequences of that is? The consequences of that is remorse, horror, hopelessness, impending calamity, and writhing nerves. And at that point, I have two alternatives. I can't tolerate that. I'm either going to blot out the consciousness, which means I'm going to eat again, or I'm going to have to find a spiritual solution, which means I'm going to pick up the steps. You know, when I read this, I think so clearly of, of this one memory for myself, and I ask you to check your own experience with these type of memories. You know, I lived with my parents until I was in my late 20s because I can't afford binge foods and an apartment. And I'm at work, and I am in impending calamity. I am in writhing nerves. I am in hopelessness and horror and remorse. But I think, okay, on the way home, I'm going to stop at that grocery store, and I buy a big tub of icing, and I buy cake mix, no intention of making a cake. In fact, I've never made a cake. And I get in line, and I have to tell you, I could feel my shoulders relaxing just by having the icing in the cart. I haven't even tasted it yet. But by the time I get to that register, I'm throwing M&Ms in, in the bin too because I don't think I can make it from the couple minutes from the grocery store to my parents' house to get into my bedroom to finally get that relief because that icing and those M&Ms are going to fix it. Because believe me, if food was really my problem, and when I put down the food down, the impending calamity, the writhing nerves, the remorse, the horror, and the hopelessness should go away. So check your own experience. If food is your problem, when you get abstinent, do you get happy, joyous, and free? Or do you identify in with what this paragraph is telling us? And if that is your truth, then sobriety, abstinence is your real problem. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Vasa O. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Melanie C., for your service. And I am Vasa O., recovered compulsive reader calling from um, Florida. 
and I can 100% <laughs> identify with this paragraph, Bill's story, the remorse, the horror, horror and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Unforget- the courage to battle was not there any longer, and I was just so powerless over the food by the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous. And um, again, I wasn't falling down yet on the street, you know, like Dan, like he talks about here. Yet, it's by the grace of God, but I have seen people, you know, that are so, so overweight, you know, and how they walk, how they move, and I just pray for them. And I'm just so grateful that I was led into this program and, you know, again, identifying and, and you know, we, and then the solution. I had no clue that I had about the allergy with the sugar. I just knew I could not put it down. That, and then I found out I couldn't put it down because I kept on putting my body, you know. And I needed to find a program. I needed to find a power greater than myself to help me in this area. I didn't think I was going to make my 45th birthday. I was dying gradually, physically, mentally, spiritually. You know, I really, I was not going to kill myself, you know, but the food was going to kill me. And uh, it's by the grace of God. I've been in in this program for many decades um, or years in this program because I'm following the, the, you know, the directions, the way they're laid out. The first thing when I came to my first meeting was how it works and on page 58, and I remember paying attention to every every sentence, every word, what it said, you know, over and over, and then going into the steps, putting the food down first, putting my alcoholic uh, substance down, my cocaine, whatever we want to call it, you know, and then work the steps. And I am just—I'll never be so more grateful that uh, God led me into Overeaters Anonymous. He put up a, a person, or she put a person in my life that led me to my higher power. And there was no way I could do it without working the program. I was just going to die anyways. So this is like a second chance to life. I had nothing to lose. I am so grateful to be here with every one of you today. And God bless. And I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Leah M. Thank you, Melanie. Um, The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. I remember this place. I remember this mental anguish um, very, very well. You know, the funny thing about alcoholism, and it's true for compulsive overeating as well, alcohol works for people uh, for a while, and then it stops working. And you know what people... You know, real alcoholics do after it stops working, they add more alcohol. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, for a long time, um, binge foods were my friend. Binging was my friend. Whenever I took a few bites, uh, there was a sense of new freedom and happiness for me. Um, and I loved to binge for a long time. It was a great escape for many, many years. But there came a time where the consequences of that binging Um, was getting greater and greater and greater, and I was paying a horrific price just to get to zero, (laughs) you know, because over time, the buzz of binging got smaller and smaller and smaller, and yet the price I was paying 
for that uh, minuscule buzz was getting greater, greater, and greater. And I was eating with a sense of urgency and desperation I had never known before. Did you ever binge because of the pain of binging? I mean, that's where I was at. And, you know, this progression is just remarkable, and I relate to it. You know, at the top of the page, he's, you know, laughing at the gin mills. Uh, he's got this willpower that he's mustered up, supposedly. But then, you know, at the bottom of this paragraph, he's questioning his, his sanity, and he's contemplating suicide. He does not see a way out. I did not see a way out. And I became a very, very miserable and suffering individual and not knowing what my true condition was and not knowing uh, what, what the disease is comprised of. I, I didn't know I would never, ever, ever be able to recapture those feelings I used to get through binging, and I spent my last years of compulsive overeating desperately trying to recapture those things, and I nearly killed myself in the process. It took someone cracking open this text, someone in whom the problem had been solved, who described to me that it was this buildup of restlessness, irritable, and discontent, which led me to dive into the bakery box and the cellophane bag in order to numb out my feelings, which led to the first bite, which started the craving, which started the compulsion, which led to the binge, which eventually led to guilt, remorse, horror, and hopelessness. And then, of course, which led to the resolutions and the promises that I'm never going to do this again because this is insane. And, uh, you know, thank God for this program of recovery when I was beaten to a pulp. In the face of collapse and despair, someone was able to uh, crack open this text and lead me out of the pit. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Leah, for that share. I apologize for the noise in the background that came through for you. We're going to offer probably as time allows, six more people to share on the paragraph on page six. It's paragraph one. Please focus your study on that. And who would Mr. like to R. share? Jackie B. Jackie B. Shoshana K. And I heard Christy. And Chrissy D. That will be probably it. Let me see. One, two, three, four. Yep, that's it, folks. Thanks so much. Let's see what I have here. I have Nessa R., Leah S., Jackie B, Janice B, Shoshana, I didn't catch your last initial there, and Chrissy D. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning, Melanie. I'm sorry for uh, interrupting you there in the middle. Um, good morning, Vision, for you. Uh, this is Nessa R, recovered in Toronto, Canada. So um, here, Bill is, is giving up. He's giving up and giving in to the alcohol and the alcoholism, um, realizing that there is absolutely nothing he can do in his own power um, to get the thing under control. And so he's giving up and giving in. And I got to that point also. Um, you know, I was able to sort of control the food and the weight up until I was 26 years old, never having, you know, never being overweight more than 20 or 30 pounds at a time you know, to dieting, bulimia, restricting, all sorts of things. But then when I turned 26 and I married, all these things that had previously been successful stopped working. And, and I gave up. I mean, I, I realized that, that 
resistance was futile. And um, I just gave myself into the food and my weight climbed and climbed and climbed. And as my weight went up, the quality of my life went down and down and down. Um, you know, I basically was living to eat, um, you know, and I reached uh, almost 200 pounds that way on a very, very petite frame. Um, and the higher my weight continued to climb, the worse my life got, my relationships got, my, my fears, my anger, my resentments. Um, you know, I walked around with a frown and a chip on my shoulder. Um, it was just a terrible quality of life. I mean, there was no quality of life to speak of, really. Um, and, you know, the saddest thing of all is that um, that continued here in the rooms. Um, you know, where it says in page 58, you know, there are those who are constitutionally incapable. And I thought I was constitutionally incapable of recovering. And, you know, the only reason I stayed in the rooms was because at least 200 pounds was better than 400 pounds. And, um, you know, that continued on for nine years. And then, and then I found somebody, uh, God put somebody in front of my face, because otherwise I would have missed it altogether probably, in whom the problem had been solved, you know, who gave me the hope to fight back and the tools to fight back. Uh, and what were those tools? Entire abstinence and the steps which unblocked me from, from the real solution, the real solution to my living problems, uh, which is a spiritual solution that I, that I call God. And, and thank God for that because, you know, I, I was truly hopeless. And if there's something that's worse than being hopeless out of the rooms, it's being hopeless in the rooms. But there is hope if we get honest with the food and we work the steps exactly as laid out in the big book to the best of our ability, um, which is what I did. And, and by the grace of God, five years, uh, more than five years later, um, 70 pounds lighter, um, I'm still here and I'm living a, a life which I would have never thought possible. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Leah S. Thank you. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everybody. This is Leah S., a recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. So we're talking about Bill, who is really deep into his uh, addiction and um, how uh, all his ups and downs and what he's thinking and how he's going through his thinking. Well, I'll let you all know that while I was in my disease and I was overeating, there was no way that I was thinking about getting out of it. I was thinking I can't cope. Once I, the disease, once the uh, sugar had uh, wear, worn off, I was facing a lot of things that I couldn't face. So I went right back into it. There was no way. So that's why I kept on eating and eating and eating until Oh, okay, now I don't have to face anything, and I don't have to um, take the responsibility of anything. And that's where I was. That's what the drunk means. That's exactly where I was in the rut, in the, in the wrappers, in the dirt, in the schmutz. It was, it was so bad. And, um, 
And there were times when I was thinking, you know what, I better get out of this whole thing. But it was so discouraging to even think about it. It's, it, it, it takes me back to how my thinking was so slow and in, in, in all the hope and, and, and the, the, everything that, that has come with me, my recovery was so non-existent. And I am so, so grateful that I found this program and I found God. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Leah S. Jackie B. Jackie B, star one, are you there? Perhaps dial back in, Jackie B, and see if that helps. We'll move on to Janice B, and then we'll come back. Hey, Janice B, are you ready? Yeah, Jackie B. Oh, there you Good are, morning. Jackie B. Hang on a second, Janice. Sorry. <laughs> Jackie got back on. Sorry about yeah, that. It, it, it muted me again. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for your um, shares. I identify with everybody. Uh, this is Jackie B. from the Bronx, uh, recovered uh, compulsive overeater today, one day at a time. I like the part where it says the brain and the the brain raced uncontrollably and there was terrible sense of impending calamity. I think my whole life that's all I ever knew. Um there was never quietness in my brain. It was always a calamity, some mischief, something that was going to uh be catastrophic whether I did it or somebody else did it and I ate I ate to not feel that that panicness, that that need to, um, if I if I go, I can um, calm down. If I eat, if I if I stop at every store, it'll be better. Um, even in um, the 25 years of uh, intermittent abstinence, um, I would have food dreams, and in every food dream, there would be me stopping off at every single place, hoping that this, if I buy this and I buy that. It'll calm me down. Life will get better. Um, you know, people will do what I want them to do. Um, I will get what I need. Um, I will be satiated. I was never satiated. Um, this time around, I needed to have a change, a real mental change. And, um, you know, six months ago, that mental change came after 25 years of in and out of recovery when suddenly I took out honestly and cleanly all the ingredients that triggered the allergy. Once the allergy was no longer triggered, I had clarity. I had no noise in my head. When there's no noise, then that's when the work starts because in order for me every day to keep myself from keeping that noise down and from being able to be a service to other people, I have to give it away. I have to tell you, yes, Jackie from the Bronx is insane when she activates her disease with the food. When she doesn't want to feel and she wants to eat instead, that's when she is insane. Today, I'm not insane and I have clarity and I can throw a rope to somebody else and help them up out of that hole because I'm working this um, fellowship to the big book and the vision for you. Thank you, everyone. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Jackie B. Janice B. 
Good morning, Vision for You. This is Shannon B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Vermont. Can I be heard, Melanie? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Good morning. Thank you. Great. Okay. Grateful to be here. Grateful to be sharing. Thank you, God. So, um, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. I don't know about you. I used to wake up and the very first thing I would think about was, where am I with food? Um, I would think about food first thing. And, um, and you know, if I, if I had eaten and done something that I didn't want that I regretted, like big time, um, I would be plunged into this um, this despair and depression. And it seems, I think, you know, I can't relate to this. I wasn't like this all the time. This was, um, these are periods in my life where I would be at this really low level. Um, and they were right before I would crawl back into the rooms of OA and right before I left the rooms of OA because I could not take the, um, the uh, it was my will my will trying to get the program, my will in isolation and not sharing, it was, it was all me trying to do it myself. And, um, and I would try to whip myself into doing it, to being abstinent and doing all the right things. And I could never do all the right things. Um, and so I was my worst enemy and, and that played out not only in the rooms of OA, but in my life, that's, that's how I operated me doing it all and thinking that, you know, if I couldn't do it, then I'm like worthless. Um, and what, what worked this last time was, a Whole, a, a whole new way of thinking. I realized that I could not whip myself into being a different person. That that all those trying to do that didn't work. And the only thing that worked was loving myself and and admitting that, you know, if I fail, and when I first started this abstinence this last time, my idea was if I fail, that's okay, because I cannot start whipping myself. It does not work. I am here for the long run. I am here because I'm wanted a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. The, the weight, I was 40 pounds overweight, but the weight was, was not as important as my sanity. I was such an unhappy camper. And, 
And I'm here to say that love works. Love works, and especially for Valentine's Day. <laughs> this is a perfect message, and thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Janice B. Shoshana Kay? Hi, it's Shoshana Kay. Can I be heard? You can. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you for everybody on the line and for being there and making it so clear with these beautiful shares, as always. Um, just wanted to reflect back on remorse and how how miserable I was. I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I really was sick, and it wasn't until a vision for you that I really clearly understood what it meant to have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind and to really be sick with this disease. And um, I really got to the point where I was just eating and, and sleeping and just not functioning for anybody, including for my own self, and um, could not help take care of my family well. And it was just a, a became, becoming such a disaster. And when I went into the rooms and I lost the weight physically, I was just, it went to my head and I was just not focused on the fact that I have a disease and this is a spiritual malady, that the food was my solution to my misery of, of not being able to handle life properly and, and, and responsibly and as an adult and through working these steps and praying for the willingness to surrender, I had to really pray to God to get me willing to want to part with my binge foods because I was a compulsive overeater since I was a kid and attached to these foods since I was a kid. And I was also in fear over what would it be like to be a new Shoshana? Like, how can that be? How can I change? And now I don't try and focus so hard on figuring it all out, but just doing and, and taking the steps and working the steps and sponsoring and being a part of the meetings and just being a part of it and letting go and surrendering in a peaceful, peaceful way, just letting it happen instead of me forcing everything. And it's such a peaceful feeling. And I wanted to thank everyone for their contribution to that and, and, and give that, and message, give of that hope. message of hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shoshana. Thank you, Shoshana. Now I'll ask Christine, now Christine G to take us out. Hi, Christine G, recovered compulsive overeater in New Jersey. Can you hear me? I can. I can. I just wanted to say that it's so helpful to be able to work with other people to see myself in them, and I have lately just been coming to this understanding of myself. Previously, when I was on that roller coaster ride, that really merry-go-round of uh, binging, remorse having the resolve, pulling myself by the bootstraps and trying again. and You know, how every single time I got worn down even more. But I was, you know, my, that disease is resilient and the the denial and the fantasy in my head that I could I could figure this out. I could somehow, some way, someday eat like normal folks. Uh, to be able to just, you know, when you break up with a boyfriend, you know, have eat a chocolate cake and the next day just wake up and like eat like a normal person. You know, the same fantasy that alcoholics have where you could just relax with a glass of wine on a Friday night after a long week. It just, it never will happen. It, it, and the whole thing is that when I hear other people talk about their their um, remorse, I'm, I'm right there with them. And then I get this sinking feeling in my stomach 
when they start to talk themselves out of the remorse, like they're going to do it this time. And they don't mean they're going to figure out how to eat, um, overeat without consequences, which is what really it, it plays out to be. What they're, what they're thinking is they're just going to have this problem licked. They don't, they don't think about, think it through about what the sacrifice it's going to take, you know, because they would, we would stay in that feeling of remorse a lot longer if we didn't think, oh, I could do this. This is good. And it's, it's this false sense. It's the, it's the cockiness. It's, we're neither cocky nor afraid, you know, but we're in reality of how serious this disease is and how powerful it is and how helpless we are against it without this program and a higher power. With that, I pass. Thank you, Chrissy G., and thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing today. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, and we'll follow that with a serenity prayer. Well, Rachel W., please read. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Melanie. It's Rachel W. Thank you for your service today. Thank you for an awesome meeting, everyone. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.